The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other. He looked at me one day and he said, at the beginning of the school year, you said you're going to like books by the end of this. And he said, I thought you were a liar. Every English teacher's world of books should surround the kids and create a space where kids walk in and go, oh, English class is about reading. I just want you to look at them. I just want you to touch them. I just want you to pull them off the shelves and, and just kind of be with these books for a little while. They really find some solace and feel sort of less alone in their pain as they connect with these characters. We don't need to wait for the book fairy to come along. We're a year removed from where we changed everything, and I can't even remember what my classroom used to look like. Today's podcast is focused on classroom libraries. Classroom libraries matter. Not just school libraries, but libraries individual teachers create and then curate around the needs of the students they teach. I realize this is new thinking for many middle and high school teachers. Why not just send kids down the hall to the school library to find a book to read? Because kids need help matching their interests to particular books. They need a teacher. Are school librarians a most precious resource have become a scarcity in far too many schools. Some schools have libraries no longer staffed by anyone. Even in schools with librarians, it can be hard to give every student the one-to-one -one attention needed to make the right book-to-kid match. Kids need more than books to become readers. They need us, and we need books in our classrooms. Two of the most important predictors of reading frequency for middle and high school students are having time for independent reading during the school day and having 150 or more print books at home. This is according to the 2015 Scholastic Kids and Family Reading Report, which is available on the Book Love Foundation website. Yet only 17% of students in middle and high school have a designated time during the school day to read a book of their choice. 17%. I'm not sure there's anything more important than leading all students to a love of reading. And students know what we care about by what we make time for. Clearly, if we want to see gains in the reading stamina of our students, time for daily independent reading must become a priority. But we also need books. Kelly Gallagher called for a book flood in classrooms in his 2009 bestseller, Read Aside, how schools are killing reading and what you can do about it. I've seen the library that wraps around the walls of his classroom in Anaheim, California. When you walk into Kelly's classroom, you know reading matters. The Book Love Foundation works to create a book flood in classrooms in the US and Canada because access to books matters. And in many communities, there are few books in the homes of students. Teachers must have books because too many public libraries struggle for funding and school libraries have closed. There's only one book for every 300 kids living in poverty, according to Reading is Fundamental. I dream of a day when there's a book for every reader in every classroom. 
We know that frequent readers in middle and high school read an average of almost 40 books a year, while infrequent readers read an average of fewer than five books a year. It's hard to develop a love of reading if you only read five books a year, and yet we know what we need. We need teachers committed to developing reading lives, and those teachers need books. We can change the story of reading. We have to. The teachers you'll meet in today's episode have been building classroom libraries for years. Today, they'll share what a book flood has meant for their teaching and for their students. Joining me is Kevin Carlson from the Teacher Learning Sessions. Today's conversation begins with Ben Wilkinson, who teaches in Knoxville, Tennessee. Penny asked Ben why classroom libraries matter. First of all, they matter just because, for the same reason that libraries in general matter, because we all need access to way more books than we can possibly afford to buy. Um, And then ultimately, because kids will read more when they have, you know, uh, when you have a classroom library and you have more books that are easily accessible to them, they'll read more. Because I have a lot of students who, they would never step foot into a bookstore. And if they did, you know, they'd be looking for the nearest exit. So (laughs) to have them walk into my classroom and to be able to look at, you know, a full wall of bookshelves and books, seeing them and seeing a kid who may not really like reading or may not um, have identified themselves as a reader before, be able to spend time browsing the fantasy section or looking through graphic novels and kind of looking at the covers and reading the blurbs on the dust jackets. That is an incredibly important experience, I think. Um, Yeah. Do you know, it's so funny because you made me think of a time I was teaching night school, which is our alternative ed program for kids who um, have dropped out of our day school. And I had about 15 kids in the class. And one night, one of the kids said something about a bookstore. And this kid next to him said, well, I've never been in a bookstore. And I thought, what? And I said, is there anyone else in here who's never been in a bookstore? And 10 hands of the 15 went up. Wow. And I said, okay, next night, the next night we meet, next week, we're going to do a field trip to the bookstore. And there was one right at the bottom <laughs> of the hill close by. And most of the kids drive, so that was not a problem. But I was driving a little Mini Cooper at the time. And I remember piling four of these adult children <laughs> in my Mini Cooper. We were like on top of each other. It's freezing outside, right? And we went down the hill to the bookstore and we walked in. And Rob comes up to me partway through you know, we were probably only there half an hour, but he comes up to me, he goes, Miss Kittle, did you know these books? Like they have all of the books about the same thing in one place. Like right here are all of the stories of the rock musicians. And I'm like, how did I never think of this? My own classroom library at the time was ABC order by author. And Mm. here he was telling me, this was a revelation to him. Like he could find what he was looking for. And I'm thinking, oh my (laughs) word, wow. And so I went back that weekend and started creating categories. And I had, you know, an entire mess in my room for weeks over trying to figure out where books went. But that power of um, what is it like to be able to just look at anything and decide, is there a Mm. book in here that I would want to read? I've never been a librarian before until I started doing this. And I'm kind of learning you know, on the job, we have a really great school librarian um, at the school that I work at, and she's been an awesome resource. So we partner and talk, and she sends me emails all the time about books I need to get. And if she has extra copies, she'll donate them to my classroom library. And so, 
but it's a constant work in progress because you're constantly having to update and maybe cull old titles or replace titles that are completely worn out because, you know, 25 kids have read them and passed them around and the cover's now falling off. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a 24 seven, 52 weeks out of the year. I'm constantly updating and looking for new titles and trying to find that next book that I'm going to be able to put in, you know, someone's hand. You know, I, I would agree with that completely. And the thing that some people don't understand is that 52 weeks a year job of locating the right book is one of the greatest, most enjoyable things I do. <laughs> I, I like nothing it. better than wandering into my bookstore here in town, White Birch Books, this little independent bookseller. And I love to sit there and comb through her titles and read the covers and smell those beautiful new books. And, you know, that's what I became an English teacher for, this love that I had yeah. of reading. Claire Gibson teaches in Commerce City, Colorado, outside of Denver. Serving kids in a lower socioeconomic environment, I think even just the physical presence of brand new books was um, really special for them. You know, when our books came in, um, I kind of organized them and then we just had a, you know, like a, a party and I called it that. I said, we're having a book party and uh, I see them, you know, the kids I see first thing in the morning, we eat donuts and drink orange juice. And I just said, I just want you to look at them. I just want you to touch them. I just want you to pull them off the shelves and and just kind of be with these books for a little while. Um, and I just think that, that that was kind of special, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure how many, how many times uh, a lot of my students have had that where, um, someone just says, just kind of interact with, with these new things, right. That, that are in front of you and that are here for you and really were, um, given to you. Um, and I try to say that a lot to kids is that, um, you know, these books aren't for me, these books are for you and they're, they're this gift to you. Um, and so I think just like the, the level of excitement in the classroom went up. Um, and, and now that kind of that has worn off a little bit, uh, I think just having the, the books in the classroom makes it so, um, easy for me to, to really connect kids to books um, that they might not have ever found before and, and really just kind of push them in their, um, in their journeys as they're figuring out who they are as readers. Um, I'm, I'm really able to kind of push that, I think, a little bit further, um, you know, than if I every time I, I wanted a kid to get a new book, we had to walk down to the library or I had to write them a pass and they had to do it on their own. Um, I can kind of guide them through that process. Um, and I'm really not ever at a loss, you know, I'm never like, Oh man, I wish I had that book to give you, or I wish I had a book like this. I, I can usually, um, you know, find them something that's going to get them excited and kind of bring back that excitement, that, that, that initial excitement that we experience as a class, just having the books in our room. Absolutely. I, I really love the, um, the story about new things and new books for kids. I had a kid come up. I had um, a whole stack of brand new hardcover books. And he said, can I check this one out? And I said, well, of course. Um, and he said, but it's brand new. You know, just oh. <laughs> this thought that maybe he couldn't have it yet. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I, I have a high poverty rate in my town as well. And for many, many of my students, there aren't books in their house, and they, that would not be something that would be top on the purchase list for their homes um, for good reason. And so the chance to hold something brand new in their hands, and especially when it's a book that I haven't read yet, and I'll say, who wants to be my first reader of this? I want to know if it's um, a good fit for you, for students in high school, you know, what do you think? And 
they feel such an honor in being the one to review a book that's brand new. Yeah, they do. And I, and I think that um, just as you were saying that, I was just thinking about a little girl who um, checked out a book from, from um, our, our new books um, and she had spilled all over it. And I could see that she was really nervous to give it back to me. Like, like, oh my gosh, I ruined this thing. And um, as she kind of like timidly pulled it out of her backpack, I, you know, she was like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And I was like, why? This is great. It looks red now. Now other kids are going to think that like, this is the best book in the library because it looks like it's been read a ton. And she was kind of like, oh, <laughs> okay. I, you know, I thought you were going to be mad at me. And it's like, you know, just letting them know, like, but no, this is what they're here for. They're here to be read. And I have, can't tell you how many books that have chocolate on them or tea spilled on them because I read and eat and that's just what happens. So how do you create a classroom library of your own? The first step is deciding to start. Carlin Shupp, Jim McCaffrey, and Stephanie Jalowick are colleagues in Trumbull, Connecticut. They are also known collectively as the Reading Revolution. Carlin got $500 from the Book Club Foundation, but the three of you have been working together forever. So I'd love to just hear about how the three of you have built these classroom libraries and this philosophy that you're working under. Um, all right. Well, we came back from NCTE 14, right? Um, and Steph and Jim had attended the session on the Maranac High School, and they said, we need to do this right now. And so then we just set about trying to establish anything we could. I know the first thing we did was just raid our own bookshelves at home and, you know, bring in anything that we could find that we would let kids take out. And then our department chair was very instrumental in getting us funding. She gave us, uh, what was it, 3000 Yeah, we got 10000 10, total. And uh, basically we set out to then fund our libraries. Um, so, I mean, we came back and we, we started thinking about ways to do to do book drives, start thinking about ways to get people to donate books. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, our, our department chair was like, well, we have money, you know, why don't we buy some books? You know, it's what's great about this story, if you unpack it, is that first of all, you went to NCTE or, yeah, it must have been NCTE because that's the group that I watched as well. And you were so inspired that you came back and decided to make the change and you started doing it on your own. And what that does is, it begins to draw attention to the power of the change. And the fact that your kids were reading is probably why your department chair said, I'm going to free up all of this money so that you can do this. Do you think so? I definitely agree. Yeah. yeah. I also think it speaks to the power that a teacher can have inside their classroom. You know, we don't need to wait for, you know, the book fairy to come along or, you know, the board of ed to, to say, yes, there are some changes we have the power to make that are, you know, can be implemented the day you come back from being inspired by a session. I mean, we're a year removed from where we changed everything, and I can't even, I was talking to Steph about this yesterday, I can't even remember what my classroom used to look like. And again, all of us are 10 plus year veterans of teaching, and it was, it's amazing to think about the amount of change we've gone through in the year. And like, looking around our classrooms, looking at all the books that we have, all the readers that we have, I mean, it's, it's been a been an amazing thing. Now, again, like when we got our libraries, it didn't happen overnight. You know, our, our classrooms were in disarray for about a month. Like we had books everywhere. We had <laughs> category lists like taped to walls. And, you know, it was it was it was a crazy month and a half just feeling disjointed. But then, you know, what what kept us together, I think, for all of us was that we had kids actually reading, you know, and at, at a higher percentage than we'd ever had. So. 
it was messy, but it was good messy because it happened mid-year. So there were literally boxes all over the place. Um, and then we were trying to think of, well, how are we going to get these books on the shelves? There's, you know, thousands of titles and, I, you know, what are we going to do? And then we decided, well, we have all this child labor here. <laughs> and so we took, I took a day and I want to say it took me a full day, all eight periods. And we just had the kids, we put the books in their hands. We said, where do you think it belongs? And that was one of the coolest things ever to see them looking at the front, looking at the back, searching inside and deciding what category. And that was, I think, really instrumental and getting, you know, books were literally in the hands of kids, but also they would, were able to decide what they liked um, based on that experience. I'm gonna say that really built excitement as we were unpacking the books. They they couldn't believe what was in front of them. And then, and then they were, you know, anticipating the change in the curriculum and the change in what was about to happen in their daily reading lives. And that was really fun to watch because um, it was so different from anything they had ever done you know, through their, whatever, nine or 10, 11 years of school. Wow. A couple things that I love um, that you talked about. One is that you're not sitting around waiting for the book fairy because in the foundation, in our application, we say that we want to know that you're already committed, um, that you've demonstrated this connection to the philosophy. Because the truth is, if the Book Love Foundation were to just give teachers books that don't already have a commitment to this kind of teaching, we would end up with um, books serving as wallpaper, just classrooms full of books and the teacher not knowing what to do with them. Yeah, 100%. I think one thing we've talked a lot about this year is we've tried to encourage other teachers to follow us a little bit here, follow the model that we've followed from you is, uh, is like the fidelity of the program is the, one of the, like the paramount elements of the whole thing. We have, to, we have to invest in the readers and in the reading. And I think that that's been couldn't agree more. It's, it's been the biggest part of what we've, we've accomplished. I also love that you said you started in the middle of the school year. You know how many teachers will say to me, especially if I'm there in February, oh, wow, we're going to think about this over the summer and get started in September. And I always say start now with whatever you have while the energy's high. Yeah, we were literally building bookshelves in class. <laughs> <laughs> Your classroom library will never be smaller than it is right now. Beth Hughes started her library with just 40 books. She was awarded a $500 book love grant in 2014. From that start, over time, she has built a tremendous resource in her classroom. You know what I love is that you took that little 40 books you started with. You already knew you wanted to make the change. That's the mark of a professional, yeah. right? You question what's going on and you go, I can do this differently. And then you get this influx of 75 books, which... You know, now you're just over 100. You can give every kid one book, but you uh, have grown that into 1,500 books. It's, I have a problem. I'll, I'll, I'll email you a picture. I, I took a picture of my library, and the, there's a guy my kids know, the, Randy and Carlene. We make them Southern, even though they're from Boston. But Randy and Carlene are on Craigslist, and it was a little creepy at first, but they end up being really, really nice. And he looks for bookshelves for me, and I'm sure he's making a little bit of money. Uh, but he will, he will text me or, or message me and say, I found another bookshelf. So I have 10 full bookshelves in my room and they're all from this little guy on Craigslist that was trying to clean out his attic, who's retired, who's now like running around all of New England trying to find, trying to, you know, equip my library and my room. And so it, it, the kids are, are cute because they know all about Randy and Carlene. And you know what I love about that piece of what you're, what you answered is one of our questions is why do these libraries matter? And then how do you build one? from scratch, but you know, the practical thing like bookshelves, that's a yeah. real issue. 
It is an issue. That was a, that was probably, as my husband will tell you, when he printed out the mint um, report of what I spent on books. And I, I teased, but I, I said, I think I worked for free last year. Um, the bookshelves, yeah, the bookshelves alone were probably like $75 used. And these aren't like nice bookshelves, but just someone else loved them. And But just a place to house the books is like the school's not going to provide that for me. And, I don't, and I'm not disparaging my district, but this is my thing. So they shouldn't have to necessarily prepare that, you know? Well, you know, I would I would push back and say that every school, if they committed to every English classroom having a library, we would make fundamental change in this country. But why wouldn't we say every English teacher's world of books should surround the kids and create a space where kids walk in and go, oh, English class is about reading, about me finding a reading yeah. life. And about me enjoying reading and not just read what I tell you to read because you'll like it. Well, like- it's that dramatic difference between engaged reading and skim scan, I'm getting a few facts here reading. There yeah. is no comparison, but what we miss is engaged reading got set aside as, oh, you can do that on your own time as if it's not the center of what we're after as teachers. In these podcasts, we will also talk about books that turn students into readers. Book talks are essential in my classroom because they help me connect students to books that they're interested in reading. I'm certain Book Talks will work for you as well. To help you in this ongoing, joyful challenge of connecting books to kids, listen to Serena Kessler, a teacher in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who shares a few hot books in her classroom this year. Right now, the hot book is um, a book I just picked up. I heard about it on NPR. It's called All American Boys. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I have a book club going with that in my room. Oh, you do? Yeah. So... This is, I mean, it's the hot topic in my, um, my ninth grade classes. I have two ninth grade classes and I've got 35 students in each of the classes. And of those 35, um, in one class, uh, 25 are boys. And in the other class, I think it's maybe like 22 or 23 are boys. And they're almost all African-American boys. And, you know, the, the issue of racial profiling and police brutality is just so forefront in their minds. And so um, All American Boys is just super relevant and um, they can connect to it. And it's this is a book that's engaging kids who had previously been mostly non-readers. So that's, that's sort of the hot book right now. Um, we have um, the the sci-fi fantasy is is pretty big. Um, I am number four. The Divergent series, um, Ender's Game, Ranger, Ranger's Apprentice. Those are some some hot titles right now. Um, kids are still reading Thirteen Reasons Why. That that um, again and again. And then the Jandy Nelson books have become oh, I love pretty those. <laughs> yeah. And that and those I discovered through you. So that was I, uh, last year. I heard you speak, and I think you talked about um, the sky is everywhere. Oh, probably. I, I usually do. <laughs> and then I would say finally, um, the Ellen Hopkins books. Yeah. Um, are you know mostly with the girls. Um, so I have a lot of my students have really tough and stressful lives, and have had some pretty rotten things happen to them that you wouldn't wish upon anyone and they 
really find some solace in the Ellen Hopkins books and feel sort of less alone in their in their pain as they connect with these characters. Oh, that's such an important point there. You know, how, how books can help kids cope with the pain that they're experiencing or even just allow them to see the struggles of other people and build empathy for that. The books that Serena mentioned will be included in the show notes at teacherlearningsessions.com slash go slash book love or by going to the podcast network menu and selecting the Book Love Foundation podcast. You can also have that list sent directly to your inbox by joining our special Book Love Foundation podcast email list. On the day each episode comes out, you will receive an email that includes a list of the books we book talk, along with other info about the show. That's at teacherlearningsessions.com slash go slash book love. To close out this episode, I want to share a story from Lynn Hagen, who teaches an intervention class for high school readers in Columbia, Missouri. I met Lynn at the International Literary Association Conference in St. Louis last summer. She has a contagious enthusiasm for readers and books. I will tell you about one of my boys who I just left that classroom. Um, He came in a ninth grader, very talkative, very squirrely little guy. And the first day of school, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to kick out my first student ever on the first day because he is going from, I'm not going to do this and being very vocal about that to just nonstop talking and he's up and he's moving around the room and he's going to have to go. But I I made it, made it through the first class. Well, by the second class, the negativity had gotten kind of ugly and I ended up sending him out. And so this was my, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this with this one kid? And he's kind of set in a mood for the rest of the room. So I got to figure out something. And the semester went along and we had our ups and downs. But in December, when we were doing our final portfolio reflection, he looked at me one day and he said, at the beginning of the school year, you said, sorry, I'm trying not to cry as I tell you this. Um, He said, you're going to like books by the end of this. And he said, I thought you were a liar. I thought there's no teacher that's going to make me like reading. And he said, you know what? I found this book. And he was was showing me a couple of um, sports books that he had read. And then he had also read a couple of Walter Dean Myers. He really liked Monster. Um, And he said, I can honestly say I liked these books. And he said, I can't even believe I'm telling you that right now. (laughs) And so... That was like the best Christmas present that I got. And he was in class right now. And so I reminded him, I said, I think I'm going to tell your story. First, he says, well, that's not true. I don't even like reading. And then we walked out because we had lunch in the middle of class. And we walked down the hall. He said, but you know that that new book that you gave me? You gave me one of those Bluefer books. You know, I, I think I finally got to a good part. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> so... I mean, just that, you know, sometimes their language does not match what they're truly feeling. And so those one-on-one moments when they let you know that you're making a difference, um, that's just, it's, he's the frosting on my cake right now. He's, um, just to be able to see such a profound transformation in a short period of time has been great. That is just a beautiful story. (laughs) I know that, um, that it's really hard for a student to change his identity And, you know, that's an example of a kid who's kind of lived in the place of, I don't like reading. And as we often know as educators, they do that sometimes to hide the fact that they're not good at it. It's easier to say, I don't like it, than I don't know how to do it. And 
we know how important it is that they find some books that they read on their own because being dependent doesn't make anyone build confidence. It's that sense of independence, I can do this. And so you've given him a path to discovering that and that is probably the most powerful work we do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Book Love Foundation podcast. You can learn more about our foundation at booklovefoundation.org. We've given away $100,000 in three years, but the need is far greater. If you can, help us reach more young people with the power of reading. Applications for the 2016 Book Love Foundation Awards are due March 1st, and I want to urge you, yes, you, to apply. As you listen to this podcast, did you ask yourself, what would you do with that many books in your classroom library? A better question, what would your kids do with them? But another reason to apply is to take the opportunity to reflect on your current teaching practice around books and reading. The Book Love Foundation application is designed to help you reflect and articulate your thinking about why you teach the way you do. This is Beth Hughes, who received a $500 award last year. It is about books and it's about getting books into the hands of kids. I get that, but I can't even tell you just winning the grant was fabulous. And it sounds like it's just an honor to be nominated. But what you said, you know, hopefully if nothing else, this is clarified or crystallized your thinking and with the reflection. And I really do believe that. I feel like I was kind of like, hey, this is how I feel. And I know that's why we teach our students to write is partly for clarification. Um, But going through the application process, I think renewed me and then winning $500, which wasn't the whole library, but was enough. It just It had such an impact on me professionally that I think it's made me even more excited, which will impact not just the 100 kids in my classroom this year, or 125 this year, but just every year. I don't know. To me, the intangibles, I think, are, are almost as valuable as the actual books in my hand. Again, that deadline's coming soon, March 1st. Go to booklovefoundation.org for more information. Thank you so much for listening. This is Penny Kittle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues about it in person or through your online social network and help us spread the word about the show. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. That's a great way for you to help support us because it helps other teachers learn what the show is about. We will leave you with some scenes from our next episode, which comes out in two weeks. It is about how to connect your students to books. I don't think we should worry about level. I think that if we can find things that, that they're interested in, they're going to read. It, that's never failed. Never, it has never failed. Even if it's a really tough book, if they're really into it, they're going to read it. Last year, I would have never picked up a book that big. I'd always go for the smallest books. and But like this year, I realized that like even if books are big, if you like them, they seem a lot smaller. That's next time on the Book Love Foundation podcast. The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other.